Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 55 is an interview with Amy Bender, sleep researcher. Dr. Bender is a senior research scientist at Calgary Counseling Centre and an adjunct assist assistant professor of kinesiology at the University of Calgary. She received her PhD and Master of Science degrees in experimental psychology from Washington State University, specialising in sleep EEG. She has helped develop the only validated sleep screening tool for athletes and has implemented sleep optimisation strategies for numerous Canadian Olympic and professional teams. Her current interests focus on how sleep and exercise interventions can improve mental health outcomes. She was a former college basketball athlete, did an Ironman in 2009 and currently chases her three young kids around, which is probably just as much of a workout as training for the Ironman. Do you have injuries or niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Get on top of these so that you can get back to the simple joy that is running. I've been in recently seeing Luke about a tendinopathy on my ankle. Never once did he say I had to stop running. With the work he is doing on my ankle and the exercises he has given me, my ankle is improving and my training is coming along nicely. Come in and see the specialists at Health and High Performance where they utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you achieve the results you want and are capable of. So head on over to www.healthhp.com.au forward slash run. They're also on Instagram as Health High Performance. Thank you so much for supporting my podcast. I love getting reviews. Nigel says, learning so much from Isabel and the variety of guests she chats with. I find myself taking notes every time I listen, really enjoying these podcasts a lot. KP Bass says, thank you for finding a variety of amazing educators to interview in the podcast, learning and being inspired, which is great. Thank you. Well, thank you both so much and also for the five-star ratings you gave me, or the podcast, I should say. To be honest, I'm learning so much from all my guests and being inspired by them too. If you go to the YouTube channel where I load the video recordings, so there are video recordings of all this, you'll see me taking notes plenty of times too. I really hope you enjoy the interview with Amy. Hi, Amy, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thanks for having me. No worries. Now, can you tell my listeners a bit about yourself and how you became so interested in sleep and its effect on performance in athletes? Yeah, so I started off um, working in a sleep lab and I ended up getting that job. I visited my aunt's sleep lab. She was a technologist at the time and hooked up all the wires to the participants and was showing me kind of what that looks like on the screen. And I was just hooked. It was so fascinating. All these physiological signals coming out um, on the screen and that you could classify sleep based on all of these signals. Mm. So um, I ended up getting just luckily landing a job at the Sleep and Performance Research Center at Washington State University, who was starting up a sleep lab at the time, um, and got world-class training from, from amazing scientists, was a sleep technologist in the beginning, and then ended up going to graduate school, got my master's and PhD in experimental mm -hmm. psychology, and focusing on sleep EEG. Then I did a postdoc at the University of Calgary, working with Canadian Olympic team athletes and optimizing their sleep. And currently I am the senior research scientist at Calgary Counseling Center. We're looking at sleep interventions for better mental health. 
Yeah, no, um, I was recently speaking with an author who did a book on recovery and, um, and she came out with the viewpoint that sleep is the best form of recovery. Why is sleep so important for athletes? What actually happens during sleep that makes it so important? Well, I think for three main reasons regarding athletes specifically, I think, and obviously this, this benefits everyone as well. Yes, of course. But yeah, um, I would say having to do sleep, sleep optimizes our mind and our brain uh, related to being able to make quicker decisions, having faster reaction time, um, you know, a perceived level of exertion. So when we have good sleep, we don't feel like we're working quite as hard. Yeah. Uh, and then I would say number two would be related to different hormones being released. So we have uh, appetite hormones are regulated with proper sleep, um, which leads to better food choices, better nutrition choices for athletes. And then also testosterone and growth hormone is also being released during sleep. So our tissues are being repaired, muscles are being repaired during sleep. So that's very important. And then third, I would say it helps athletes stay in the game. So number one, it would be related to immunity. So um, with good sleep, so for example, if a person is getting more than seven hours of sleep, they're exposed to a cold virus uh, versus someone who's getting less than five hours of sleep and they're exposed to the cold virus, they're gonna be twice as likely to catch that cold as someone who's getting proper sleep. And um, related to career longevity as well, um, staying in the game, they, there was a study done in Major League Baseball players where they uh, basically asked, uh, they gave them a questionnaire asking about their levels of sleepiness. And they found that those who were clinically sleepy were over twice as likely to not be in the league um, two years later. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I think it has many, many different benefits for athletes. Yeah, um, and, and you sort of touched on immunity. How does sleep affect immunity? Why does it strengthen our immune system? I mean, obviously the repair of the tissues and that sort of thing, but is there anything else in play there? Yeah, I mean, specifically, I'm not an immunologist no, by of course. any means, yeah. but um, I know the research related to T cells, so our helper T cells, um, that with sleep deprivation, they lose some of their stickiness. So part of their mm. job is to attach to those pathogens, release chemicals to kill, kill the pathogens. Um, but when you're sleep deprived, there's actually somewhat of a lack of um, stickiness in to be able to, to attach onto those pathogens. Um, so yeah, things related to that, just overall with sleep deprivation, we see uh, more inflammation occurring. So that has a lot to do with our immune system as well. Yeah. Um, no, sorry, I'm just writing some notes here too. Um, many ultra runners, you know, do races that involve sleep deprivation. So they'll be uh, running throughout the night. Is it possible to prepare for sleep deprivation? Can you train for that? So I would say there may be people out there who might want to um, restrict their sleep in order to train for that situation. 
bottom line, that's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> you can't, it's really difficult to adapt to chronic sleep loss. So the best thing to do in that instance would be to bank sleep leading into that competition. So if, and you know, as much as maybe a month before, but even mm. a week before is going to show amazing benefits. So trying to get to bed earlier, trying to maybe sleep in a little bit mm. as you prepare for that competition. And then even supplementing with a nap during the day, you know, I know people are busy, they're working, they may not have an opportunity to sleep in that much. So potentially supplementing with a nap and that any extra sleep that you're going to get, you're going to perform better during that sleep deprivation. And that's what the research shows. There are researchers out there that don't believe you can bank sleep. Um, but I think it's, it's a bit like paying off the sleep debt versus banking it in advance. I think it's kind of the same thing. Um, but the research shows when we're looking at these studies and there has been done, um, studies in athletes specifically that if they get more sleep leading into that sleep deprivation period, they're going to perform better. Yeah. So that's a, a good case for that. And I reckon athletes probably could sleep in a bit because if they're training less, that's more sleep time that they should take advantage of, I yes, guess. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I myself have noticed this, and I've spoken with athletes, you've noticed it, when, when they race overnight, the period sort of between 2 and 4 a.m. seems to be the most difficult for staying awake. Why is, is there something with our circadian rhythm that, that makes that time particularly hard? Absolutely. So between 2 and 4 a.m., usually actually more probably maybe an hour shifted but it does depend on your chronotype yeah. or your preference for being a morning type or an or a late type um that's when our melatonin is highest so oh, okay. melatonin yes related to our circadian rhythm melatonin is released when it gets dark um it's at our highest levels in the middle of the night and is associated with the lowest levels of alertness so it makes sense that that would be the most difficult time for some of those ultra runners. There's also no, not really any light, um, you know, and light helps keep us alert. So that's, that's probably the main reason why that would be a difficult time. Yeah. Now you just spoke then about morning people and night people. So that is a real thing. Like people say that, but it, it is a real thing. Yes, there are. I mean, there's a lot of age-related changes as well. So mm. when we're a child, we're, we gravitate more towards being a morning type. When we're an adolescent, we gravitate more towards being an evening type. And then when we get into our 50s or so, we kind of revert back to more of that early bird type. But there is variation depending on genetics. So if my mom, um, you know, is more of a night owl. I'm more likely to be a night owl no matter what age. Um, so there is genetic variation and it, uh, it is based on melatonin release too. So okay. if I'm more of a night owl, it's likely that my melatonin is being released later. And so the best thing for that person would be to go to bed later and wake up later if possible. But mm. it becomes a problem with society when you have to get up early for your job. Um, so there are some strategies in that instance where 
potentially uh, exogenous melatonin, um, may be useful for night owls, as well as blocking light at night. So wearing blue blocking glasses, putting away the electronic devices, and then getting lots of light in the morning can help shift the, those uh, night owls to a more realistic time and help um, get their melatonin released a little bit earlier. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, now you spoke about napping. Um, so some people are a bit nervous about napping because they think it might stop them sleeping so well at night. Is that an issue? And, and why is it good for athletes to nap? Napping is huge. It's such a great uh, performance enhancer and many athletes aren't really taking advantage of it. So we did a study in Canadian national team athletes and we found only about 20% were napping two or more times per week. Many people were not, many athletes were not napping at all. And um, it boosts your mood. It, you know, it, it boosts your alertness. It's very, very helpful for productivity. Um, and you're right though, we don't want it too close to bedtime. So the closer it is to bedtime, the more likely it's gonna be harder to fall asleep. Yeah. So we wanna keep it in the afternoon when we have that natural circadian dip in alertness, you know, between 12 and 3 p.m. And then try and keep it short if you only have a, a little bit of an opportunity. So you could do a power nap, less than 30 minutes, even, you know, five, 10 minutes is going to be beneficial. And that's so that you're not getting into the deeper stages of sleep, waking up, feeling groggy, not knowing where you are, you know, having that sleep inertia that takes a while to get rid of. Um, but I would say, you know, we worked with a lot of athletes who they were maybe a swimmer, they had early morning training because of pool times. And they just, because they're an adolescent or a teenager, they just don't have, they aren't able to get to bed quite on time yeah. because of that melatonin release and the likelihood for being more of a night owl. Um, so in that instance, we would recommend more of a longer nap to try and make up for a lot of that lost nighttime sleep. So a nap more around 90 minutes to try and make up for um, the lost nighttime sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just on that napping topic, I don't, um, I assume you've heard of this, of a caffeine nap where you have some caffeine and nap. Does that actually work? Yeah, it's called a, a nappuccino. Oh, I didn't know that's what it was called. I like yes. it. Yeah. Um, you know, caffeine is a big, a big issue of mine. I think mm. so many athletes take it not really you know just assuming it's going to improve their performance which i would say overall yes it does improve performance but there is new research coming out that potentially in slow metabolizers caffeine is not necessarily a good thing so in this particular study by dr guest they had a cycling time trial and they gave the caffeine about, I think it was 30 minutes to an hour before the time trial and, you know, measured everyone's performance. And when they looked at the fast metabolizers versus the medium versus the slow metabolizers of caffeine, they found that the slow metabolizers actually impaired their performance oh, wow. with caffeine 
versus placebo by something like 12%. That's huge. Um, yeah, so for the fast metabolizers, it was way beneficial for them. This could be, you know, it may not be that slow metabolizers would always not benefit from caffeine because it could be that later on is when, you know, this caffeine would kick in and really boost their performance. It's not really clear. Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, use it sparingly. Personally, now the cat, the, the nappuccino, the kind of benefit of that is that you take the caffeine. Oh, um, you know, you wake up from the nap and you feel refreshed. Yeah. Uh, personally, um, just based on my experience and how much caffeine can stay in the system, uh, I would use it sparingly. You know, like in an endurance, in a long distance ultra endurance race, you know, absolutely do everything you can. If the caffeine's helping you, you know, use it because you just got to get through those two yeah. days or so of work. But if you're an athlete and needing to perform, you know, twice a week and once a week, um, I'd probably just stop for the general power nap. Yeah, fair enough. Now, in regards to like the slow metabolizers or fast metabolizers, is, it, is there any way of knowing or is it just like you find that coffee doesn't, caffeine doesn't help you? It is, it is pretty difficult to know. And uh, I will say also that many potentially fast metabolizers think that caffeine does not impact their sleep whatsoever. But there was a recent study in teenagers where they gave them an energy drink at dinner time and um, looked at how that objectively changed their sleep. And they found that there was about a 20 minute decrease in deep sleep, which oh, is wow. that very important stage. Yeah. And um, when they asked participants, did you think this caffeine affected you? They were like, no. Yeah. So they didn't even realize that this caffeine was impacting them in this negative way. Yeah, because they were still sleeping and they didn't, I guess they didn't know they were missing out on that important part of the sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, that's, that's good to know. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, but sorry, let me, yeah. I didn't quite finish the, yeah. the, the answer. Um, you can take a nutrigenomics test. So there are tests out there that you can spit into a tube. It takes your saliva analyzes your genotype, your genes, um, and yeah. you can find out that oh, okay. way whether or not you are yeah. a fast or a slow metabolizer. Looking at the SIP, uh, SIP A2, SIP 1A2, sorry, I'm going to mess that up, but um, <laughs> That's right. that specific gene and yeah. um, looking at the different genotypes related to yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. And so I guess people can get that done. Um, now, when we're talking about, uh, sleep and you know um, making sure that we get the best sleep that we can would you am I correct in believing that it's best not to have screens in rooms like a lot of people watch tv because they in bed because they feel it helps them to fall asleep once again just like people who think caffeine doesn't affect them <laughs> is, is it true <laughs> yeah I mean I think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of split among the sleep scientists whether oh, okay. a tv is really that bad I mean I would say number one, get it out of your room, mm. but um, you don't want any 
you know, electronic devices in your room, even, even your phone, like get a old school alarm clock. Um, yeah. For me, I keep my phone downstairs. I, you know, if I have small children, so they wake me up early, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. Um, but uh, every once in a while, I'll bring my phone in, put it on airplane mode if I need an alarm, um, you know, for an important yeah. meeting or something. But um, yeah, so there is, I would say TVs maybe not as bad as a phone or an iPad right in front of your face yeah. where that blue light is sending a signal to your brain to wake up. It's reducing your melatonin. Um, you know, so a TV, maybe not so bad. It helps people relax. Um, but anything close to your face, you want to avoid within an hour before bedtime. Um, but then also be aware that it's not just about the blue light. It's about the content that you're watching too. Yeah. So um, you may not want to be selecting some of those uh, crazy TV shows where, yeah. A lot yeah, of because <laughs> a lot of people think that if they put the blue blocking glasses on that they can keep looking at those screens right up until the last minute. But like you said, it could also be if you're watching something that really jazzes you up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's about that content too. Yes. Now, um, there is also a lot of talk about, you know, having sleep, good sleep hygiene. Can you break that down for us, what that actually means? Yeah, so it's related to, you know, good habits related to sleep. So either habits you do during the day, it's not just about habits right okay. before bedtime, but um, exercise, which obviously your audience doesn't yeah. really need to worry about, but that's <laughs> important for better sleep. Um, getting lots of light in the morning helps set our circadian rhythm to that time of day. So doing a run outside during daylight in the morning hours before noon is going to be, is going to be key for sleep quality. Yeah. Um, a lot of the research looking at light exposure prior to noon shows that those people um, get better quality sleep and the electronic devices don't necessarily impact them as much as someone who's okay. indoors all day you know, staring in front of a screen, not getting much light outside, which can be 200 times brighter than our indoor lighting, depending on if you're in direct sunlight. So that's an important component, the light component, and then blocking the light at night, potentially with the blue blocking glasses about two hours before bedtime. Um, you know, making sure you're putting those electronic devices away, which we talked about, but also having uh, relaxation activities before bedtime. So taking a warm bath or shower has been shown to temporarily increase our body temperature, but then the body temperature plummets, making it easier oh, okay. for sleep. Yeah. Uh, so that's a sleep hygiene technique. And then, yeah, just having some time to unwind prior to bed. Yep. Yep. Now that sounds good. I did wonder how the warm bath worked because I thought your body needed to drop temperature. So that's, that's interesting to know. So if just say we're doing all the right things or we, we think we are, and, but we're still having trouble sleeping, what are some strategies we can employ to try to help us sleep? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for people to know that sleep hygiene isn't a 
fix for insomnia by any means. Um, It's more, they use sleep hygiene as the control group when they look to see the effectiveness of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the gold standard for insomnia. So I would say, yeah, I would say that if someone's doing all the right things, uh, we didn't talk about alcohol. That's another sleep hygiene technique, you know, avoiding alcohol too close to bedtime. Um, but if they're doing all the right things and they're still struggling with their sleep, it's probably time to seek help from a sleep professional. Um, now I did develop, I helped develop the athlete sleep screening questionnaire. So people can, yeah, people can go to centerforsleep.com and there's an athlete sleep screening questionnaire that people can take. It's completely free. Um, it gives you personalized recommendations based on your responses to the answers and, and will let you know if you need to seek help from a sleep professional. Okay. Yep. And, and because sleep is so important, I do, I do agree that um, people should follow up on that. Um, now, you spoke about alcohol um, before, not, not consuming alcohol, although some people seem to think that it helps. What, what role does nutrition play in how well we sleep? Like the foods that we eat and the, the drinks we drink during the day, how does that affect our sleep? Yeah, it's, it's, this is a really exciting area. I think there, need, there needs to definitely be more research in this area. Um, there are certain foods that promote melatonin. So for example, kiwi fruits, Um, help promote melatonin. So there's been a few small studies showing that a kiwi fruit, um, maybe one or two prior to bedtime is helping with that melatonin release um, and helping people who suffer from insomnia. Also tart cherry juice. So tart cherry juice has a lot of antioxidants and it leads to better melatonin production. Now, recently, there was a study looking at uh, protein. So protein before bedtime helped people fall asleep quicker. Um, Yeah, and and it was interesting because this study, maybe we can link to it in the show notes. um, But this study found that those who fasted, these are high-level athletes, those who weren't eating after dinner, so after it was 6 p.m., um, were actually sleeping worse than those who were having a snack. Now, um, yeah, int- now we don't want a huge meal right mm. before bedtime because we're trying to digest the food and rest at the same time. So that's not good. But um, having a small snack, having a little bit of protein, some carbs is going to help people fall asleep quicker and have a bit better sleep quality, especially if you're expending a lot of energy with your workouts, um, you know, not going too long. Um, if you, if you go too long without nutrients, your body may wake, wake you up, you know, unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, um, I know, Sometimes when people are trying to lose a bit of weight, they'll, they will not eat before bed. But then if you can't sleep because you're so hungry, that's more of a performance hindrance as well. Yep. Um, I'm sorry. I realised when with some of these questions, a few slipped in there that shouldn't have been in there. Um, like, 
sometimes certainly um, many athletes, you know, they're trying to drink lots of water during the day, but then they're finding they're getting up during the night to go to the toilet. What can we do to kind of uh, stop that happening quite so much? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's completely normal to wake up once during the night. Um, so once during the night, not a big deal. As long as you're getting back to sleep within 20 minutes, yeah. Um, I wouldn't fret too much about that. Um, that's still considered good quality sleep. Um, you know, you might, you might just um, move some of that hydration to earlier in the day if you can, if possible, yeah. and then, and then be conservative with the amount that you're drinking prior to bedtime. So one good one good technique would be to sip sip your water or use a straw uh, versus, you know, gulping it all the way yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Now, also, what is the effect, like you talked about um, exercising in the morning, which is good for getting all that sunlight. Some people prefer to train of an evening. How does that affect their sleep? Yeah, I think as long as it's not, um, the research shows that as long as it's not within an hour of bedtime yeah. um, and it's not too vigorous, uh -huh. then it's not a big deal to exercise in the evening. Um, there have been some other studies looking at the circadian rhythm and how that changes with exercise. So typically, if you exercise in the morning, it's going to shift your circadian rhythm earlier, which is good if you have to get up for work and that kind of thing. Um, but if you're exercise in the evening, it's going to shift your circadian rhythm later. Yeah. So depending on, depending on what your routine looks like, if I have to get up at 6 a.m., um, you know, that evening run at 9 p.m. may, you know, may impact my ability to fall asleep and have good quality sleep. Um, I would say if you, you know, every once in a while, not a big deal, but I wouldn't purposefully make my training in the evening if I had the option to train in the morning. Yeah, fair enough. And certainly don't do your high intensity workouts then either, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, do you have um, any tips on how athletes can utilize sleep to improve their athletic performance? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, just what we've talked about previously, we haven't um, talked about the quantity of sleep. So mm. people want to aim to get a minimum of seven hours. For athletes, we think they need more. So normal adults between seven and nine hours athletes depending on your workload um your training load likely need more sleep um yeah. so you probably want to aim to be in bed for at least eight hours if possible um if you're able to fall asleep within 30 minutes and don't wake up too often yeah. um you know in in college athletes with this sleep sleep extension study in swimmers and basketball players they told athletes to be in bed for 10 hours and prior to this prior to this their normal levels were right around seven hours yeah. uh, they ended up getting almost two more hours of sleep 
And when they looked at their performance, their mood was better, their reaction time was better, their performance was better. So their free throw shooting, their three point shooting was better. Um, they had faster sprint times. So, um, you know, it's almost like the more sleep you can get, potentially the better performance you're going to have. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to all point to, towards getting as much as you can. It's, it's a free, basically a free uh, performance aid, I guess. Yes, it is. It's completely free, yeah. um, you know, a yeah. very potent performance enhancer. Now, is there any difference, I was just thinking of the same, was, is there any difference between like men and women, how, how they sleep or how sleep impacts them and that sort of thing? Typically, women do get a little bit more sleep than men, um, maybe 20 minutes or so. Um, so that's interesting. Mm. And then also women suffer more from insomnia. So the inability to fall asleep quickly, maybe waking up during the middle of the night. And that could have to do with hormones being released. You know, menopause is, is a time where people really struggle with sleep. Mm. Um, so it may be related to that. And then I would say men are more likely to have sleep apnea. So yeah. where they stop breathing during the middle of the night. Um, so men who are 50, 50, and, 50 and up are at higher risk. Um, if, you're, if you're overweight, if you have a large neck, um, <laughs> those are all, those are all uh, risk factors for sleep apnea if you're snoring. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's good to know. Now, is there anything that you would like to, to add that you think I might've missed that could be important for, for athletes, but also just people in general in regards to sleep? I think uh, there's some really great um, techniques to help people fall back to sleep or even fall asleep, which is important for an athlete, yeah. um, you know, during competition. Um, so the four, seven, eight breathing technique, that's where you breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for seven counts, and then you breathe out for eight seconds. Okay. Yep. Um, so you repeat that four times and that helps activate the parasympathetic nervous system, that relaxation system. I just saw recently a technique called the five finger. So oh, okay. you, um, yeah, you basically, you, trace your fingers so you breathe in uh, as you're tracing your pinky up to the top and yep. so you're breathing in and then you breathe out as you trace your pinky down and then you move on to the next and you just breathe in and breathe out and um, it's supposed to activate the parasympathetic nervous system and it uses a lot of your senses so you're looking you're feeling you're breathing you're really focused in on the moment yeah um, that might be a good technique and then the cognitive shuffle, I really like. That's where you think of a word such as bedtime. You imagine all the objects you can, starting with the first letter. So B, ball, baby, bus, banana, bag. And then when you can't think of any more objects, you move on to the next letter, E, eagle, egg, ear. And by the time you get to the end of the word, hopefully you'll be uh, sound asleep. Um, so that's a good technique, progressive muscle relaxation, tensing different muscle parts, um, yeah. you know, up and down and really focusing on those areas uh, is a good one. And I would say also for people who are um, 
maybe they've tried these techniques and they're still wide awake, the best thing to do would be to get up out of bed, go to a different room, do a relaxing activity in low light. So maybe reading a paper book in low light and then only return back to bed when sleepy. Yeah. So um, yeah, you wanna make sure that you're associating with the, be the bed with being asleep and not being awake. So that's a really important, important tip for people too. Yep, yep. Now, um, is it a common thing like that you can go through stages of insom insomnia and then sleeping well? Like, is that, is that a common occurrence for people? Um, I would say not, not, I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, because you are maybe sleep deprived and when mm. you're sleep deprived, then you might have a more deeper night's sleep the following night. So potentially, but I would say the majority of people with insomnia, um, are really struggling many time. times during yep. the week. Yeah. 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 No, that's so it's, yeah, it's really important to get that checked out. There are online programs that you can do, um, you know, even if you just Google cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, you're yeah. going to find many different online programs that people can take advantage of. Um, there are sleep behavioral specialists out there who you can go in and do sessions with them as well. So you might look into that too. Yeah, yeah. Do you think things like meditation and that sort of stuff helps at all? I think so too. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of sleep sleep meditation specifically. Like if if that relaxes you, that could be mm. potentially useful. Um, and I believe there are some components of the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia that includes meditation as well. So yeah. definitely I think that's helpful in activating that relaxation system yep yep no that's fair enough all right well i appreciate your time um i'll put the links in for if you can send me for the protein uh, at bedtime you said the study for that one. Oh yes yeah. yep and also the um i'll get the the link for the sleep questionnaire that people can access how can people find out more about uh, you or what what you're working on and that sort of thing I am on Instagram and Twitter, so I'm at Sleep for Sport. And then I'm also working on a website. Um, it's a bit slow going, but <laughs> it's, my website is sleepwelltowin.com. It's not quite ready yet, but I'm hoping to um, get a jump start on that. And I'll have uh, different topics that people are interested in. So I'll do different blog posts related to that. Um, you'll be able to just keep track of what I'm doing through that website. Excellent. That sounds great because I'm sure a lot of a lot of the uh, athletes listening will want to access some of that information. So thank you for that. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So what did you think? A big takeaway for me from this interview is that people who think they can sleep unaffected by caffeine are actually really truly affected. And also how important naps are for athletes. I don't know about you, but I always feel guilty taking naps, but I really should try to work them into my schedule. Much easier doing this during ISO than real life, of course, you know, when you're working full time outside of home. Let me know your thoughts about the podcast, either in the comments on the Instagram podcast page or by DM 
or by rating and reviewing. Next week's interview is actually with a friend of mine, Mossy. I met him last year when he was over from the States for GSER. He is an amazing athlete and he's coming onto the podcast to talk about an event he did where he was on the go for 62 hours. I just, I can't imagine it. GSER was 44 hours and that was more than enough for me, let me assure you. Listen up next week to hear about how he did it. Make sure you stay committed and consistent with your training. If you are focused on improving as an athlete, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to organise an individualised training plan. Have a great week of training, stay safe and well, and remember with a little kindness and grace, we will get through this together and come out stronger and more resilient.